At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 333rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. The Urban Farm Podcast is sponsored by HealthIQ.com. As I get older, I am finding that leaving a legacy is becoming more important. And a big part of that is making sure my loved ones are financially sound when I depart. One way to do that is through life insurance. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that helps runners, cyclists, yogis, vegetarians, urban farmers, and other health-conscious people get lower rates on their life insurance. Visit healthiq.com forward slash urban farm to support our show and see if you qualify. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is helping farmers think inside the box when building their business. We're talking with returning guest Brandy DeCarly about what's new with Farming from a Box. Brandy is the founding partner of Farm from a Box, an off-grid farm system that uses modern technology to make farming more efficient, more productive, and more environmentally beneficial, all in one deliverable system. Built from a modified shipping container, it comes equipped with all the technology needed to start and maintain a two-acre planted farm. It is specifically designed to conserve water, save energy, and help build healthy soil. Their goal is to revolutionize local food production and enable communities around the world to grow their own nutritious food with clean technology. Brandy, welcome back to the show. Are you ready to rock? Rock and roll, Greg. I am ready. Sweet. So, hey, we got to meet you in podcast episode 86 back in June of 2016, and we heard about a radical new way of farming, and we're so excited to get an update from you today. Can you bring us up to speed on what Farm in a Box is all about? Yes, absolutely. And a lot has happened since that first podcast. So I'll back up and give a little bit of context just for people to, to know what we are and where we kind of came from. Perfect. Several years ago, my business partner and I were actually working on a project in Kenya and we saw that the community was really struggling to access enough food. The infrastructure wasn't there to be able to support a reliable crop production. Mm. So we had an idea. We thought, okay, well, let's create a deliverable infrastructure that can actually support and strengthen local food production at the community level. A farm from a box, if you will. That's kind of where we, where we placed the name. So that's what we put together. We took a modified shipping container and we basically put in all of the core components that are needed for off-grid sustainable food production. So basically you can kind of picture it as a Swiss army knife of sustainable farming. It's, it's the toolkit to be able to support that classic regenerative farm. Wow. So a couple of things that you said I want to dig in a little bit deeper on. Deliverable infrastructure. 
I've not heard that before. Can you say a little bit more about that? That's fascinating. I should probably coin that term. Yeah, I think so. I think infrastructure is everything, right? Even if we look at things where, you know, it's a Puerto Rico infrastructure issue. Mm, Oh, yes. Starting a farm when you are working on a really rural piece of property, you still have to have some basic level of infrastructure. So that's something that really helps. And the why, why we term it in terms of deliverable is that it's a mobile infrastructure that's all in one system. It's off-grid power. It's a pumping system. It's micro-drip irrigation. It's you know, all of those core systems that can be delivered to a piece of land and be able to help jumpstart farming pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So how much land? About two acres of land. We can actually go up to about a hectare of land. So, you know, for, for those of you that are on this podcast, you probably know that's about two and a half acres. Right. But there's a bit of a sweet spot between that two acre and hectare space. So that's how much each one of these units supports. All right, cool. So I just ordered one and you delivered it to me and I'm opening up. It's a, it's a shipping container, right? (laughs) Right. It gets delivered obviously on a semi and I open the doors. What am I seeing? What's in there? Right. Yeah, exactly. Sort of comes in and is delivered. And you're already aware of a lot of the things that are in here because before the container actually arrives, Uh we are working with where these boxes are going and who's getting them to make sure that we're tailoring the system to actually respond to what the local context is. So whatever that, whatever your water access point is, whatever need it is that you specifically have, you know, we've built the system to be able to configure and respond to all of those sort of variables. So to go back to your question, do, do, do. The you know, truck comes in, so yep. it delivers delivers the, the unit. We have pre-installed most everything that we possibly can. So it's, it's a turnkey system. So you open the doors of the shipping container. And on one whole side, you see sort of a, a workbench and a cabinet that contains all of the off-grid power systems. So the inverter, the battery, the Wi-Fi connectivity, all of those systems. And then if you continue walking back, you see a door. That door leads to one of our new additions, which is an internal cold storage unit. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're really excited about that one because as we've deployed some more of these systems, cold chain, cold chain Mm -hmm. and and mitigating any of that waste that can happen in the field is a big issue. So that's one of the new additions that we put in that we're really excited about is solar powered off grid cold storage system inside of the box. Basically a refrigerator. Yep, that's exactly it. It's a it's a walk-in refrigerator inside to be able to store the crops after they're harvested. So it gives a little bit more time between whether those crops are used for consumption purposes or before the farmer actually takes them to market. Yeah. We can keep them cooler longer. Wow, how cool is that? Greg, I should probably also go back that while all of those things are actually pre-installed, the other factor is the power. Where does the power come from? Oh, so yeah. if you were to open up the doors, obviously we can't ship the unit with the full sort of flagged solar array on the roof. So a part of our deployment team actually hooks up that whole solar array that's on the roof. And so that's your power system moving forward. Wow. How many KW of solar do you put on the roof of this thing? Three kilowatts. And that three kilowatt system is enough to be able to provide the power for a solar pump, which moves all of the water out through this two acres of land. It also provides the power for the Wi-Fi system that's inside. So we've got some information access. It's what powers the cold storage system. Mm -hmm. 
and just powers things that you need to plug in. Like even if that's speakers because you want to farm with some music going on. Right. It, it provides you that, that power that you need. Cool. One of the things I heard you say was that you're, you're really tailoring this farm in a box to who you're sending it to and the environment. Is that the case? That's absolutely the case because when you're working as, as you know, in outdoor agriculture, there are so many variables that oh, yeah. have to be taken into consideration. So, you know, having a sort of cookie cutter stamp solution just isn't really going to work. Right. So the way that we design Farm From a Box, which has been a part of the adventure for us in developing this, is how is it that we can take a sort of coral central system, but make it so that it's almost Lego style, where we can mm. plug in and plug out different components so that it can respond to the, you know, environmental case on the ground or the climactic conditions mm -hmm. or even down to the users that are going to be working with it. So it's it's dynamic in that way, but it's almost like the central nervous system. We can plug in and plug out different components as needed. Right. Well, so a couple of things came up for me when you were saying that. So when I order mine, because one of these days I'm going to order one since they're so cool. <laughs> but when I order mine, you're going to have to create it for the drylands because we're drylands here. But a lot of these you ship out of the country, right? Yeah, well, that's actually one of the exciting updates that we have is just this past year, we actually expanded internationally and uh -huh. we launched our first unit in Tanzania. Talk about a different sort of situation to configure a unit for. There's language barriers also that you have to deal with, right? Yeah, Greg, we, we dove into the deep end on this one. But it's also <laughs> been a long-held dream to really see one of these units go to, you know, a community that is in such need. That's really the core purpose that we initially had started this with. Right. We had teamed up with the United Nations World Food Program to test this solution out on the border of a refugee camp way in western Tanzania on the border of the Congo. Wow. So to, to your point, different culture, different country, yeah. different language, very remote. So for us to be able to put that system together within that context was pretty incredible. Very exciting. What was that like? You know, I think one of our core mantras is localization, localization, localization. Uh -huh. Step one on that is that we decided to make and assemble the entire unit in Tanzania so that all of the components are sort of a part of local supply chains. And so right. replacement parts can be easily found and wow. training could be easily plugged in. So number one is we made it in Tanzania. But then we had to find out what that local sort of need is. And in the case of this particular farm, we deployed it in a host community surrounding a refugee camp because they struggle with very high levels of malnutrition. Oh, I'll bet. And it's entirely rain-fed agriculture. So when the rains come, there's a lot of crop. And when the rains are gone, there's zero crop and there's no cold chain. And so, you know, it's either an abundance or a complete scarcity. So we were coming in to sort of stabilize that growth. And in this case, we were pulling the water out of a local river. And that was the first time that we've done something like that. Oh, right. Finding our way of working with a river that has some pretty large fluctuations in volume and making sure that everything was good there. We also trialed two different types of irrigation systems, one that went from the pump directly out to the, the irrigation lines. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of the field was a gravity-fed drip irrigation because oh. we were we were unsure from the training side which which one the community would take up a little bit better. So so we tested both. So how has this 
project impacted that community? Oh my gosh. You know, literally just yesterday, we were going through our weekly progress reports and you know how easy it can be to get sort of caught up in the day-to-day activities of all the things you need to handle. But looking at the photos of when we arrived at this piece of land that Mm -hmm had never been farmed. It was completely open land of compacted soil to where we are now with a hectare of land that's growing a full intermixed crop of tomatoes and maize and beans and onions and carrots. It's really an incredible thing because the whole community comes together to farm in unison in this one community farm. And the productivity of the farm, I mean, it gives me chills. It's it's wow. really it's really something that's impactful. Yeah. So Since we've talked last, you had one model, but you've added new additions. Can you tell us about those? We have. It's it's an ever-learning process of evolution. So Mm -hmm. from when we last talked, we went from our 1.0 to both our 2.0 and our 3.0 design. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the cold storage, which is one of the big ones that we're really proud of, of, of putting in there, we also built out our data system a little bit. And I know some people, you know, within the food and farming space, they think data and farming and oh, oh God, and I was one of those initially as well. Uh-huh. But the beautiful thing about it is we've actually put in sensors to be able to track just how much energy you're producing, just how much water you're producing, Mm. what's going on in the field, what's the temperature level within the cold storage area, what's the state of your batteries. So the power of that is that, one, it serves as a really sort of phenomenal safety net, if you will, in terms of ensuring that the whole productivity and functionality of the farm is working precisely as intended. Uh But it also gives the farmer a lot more control. So we can track everything all through you know, a web-based platform and you can literally see the historical state of the farm. You know, what's your soil condition from last year to this right. year? And you know, what's what's the level that's going on in field one versus field three? And then you know, in the case of Tanzania as an example, when you're operating somewhere that remotely, and that could be, you know, a farm out in Montana as well, making sure that the system is all working as well as it should be, yeah. and the irrigation is flowing and the pump is working, all of those things, that makes a huge, huge difference. So we're really excited about that addition too. So you've got data tracking so that I know if I walk away for three days, I can kind of ping in and it'll tell me that everything's getting watered. Exactly. And there's sort of built-in alerts so that if you walk away for three days or if somebody needs to go on a work trip or a family issue or whatever it so happens, or vacation, people uh-huh. do actually take those sometimes. Right. Then you have built-in alerts and you can pull up on your phone or laptop and see the red light, green light. Here's the exact status of a farm. So it, it really gives that sense of security. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no kidding. So one of the things that I I want you to kind of share with me is one of these projects that you've done. How many have you shipped? Is that a fair question? Yeah, it is. Actually, there's one that I was really excited to share with you about, and it's an urban farm. It's our very first smack in the middle of an urban area farm. Perfect. That's actually what's going to be the question. Can you tell me about the magic, that magic one, the one that just lit you up and said to you, oh my gosh, this is why I'm doing this. Oh gosh, that's such a good question. And and my answer is going to be all of them light me up. (laughs) But in particular, this urban farm 
and the Tanzania unit, because they're on opposite sides of the spectrum, they both really, really light me up. So in the case of this urban farm, I think I had mentioned on the last podcast that we like to always have the farmers name the box so oh, that yes. there's a little soul to it. Yes. So this this urban farm, we, we teamed up with the IRC, the International Rescue Committee. Oh, great. They're working with resettled refugees. Yep that are coming into the U.S. that are primarily all coming from a farming background, but suddenly you sort of plop, you know, a family from Bhutan and Nepal into Sacramento, California. It's not immediately going to feel like home. And then how do you sort of get them on their feet again? So the IRC has a program called New Roots. And Mm -hmm. it's really amazing because they're using community farming to sort of get that income level and get that nutrition level and reestablish that feeling of community and home for these refugees that are coming in through a community farm. Right. So that's what we did. We teamed up with them and there was a vacant piece of land in the middle of an urban subdivision five minutes away from the capital of the state of California. Nice. We basically took this vacant plot of land and turned it into this agricultural oasis where these farmers are all farming all of these different types of crops. And there's Uh now a farm stand that the community can go to and, you know, local restaurants buy fresh produce from the farmers. So it's amazing just to be able to see that transformation and to also see the power of how farming and food can really be such a beautiful bridge in terms of, of really building community and connecting people with home. Right. Well, and you know, really when it comes down to it, when you have a party at your house, oftentimes everybody ends up around the food and in the kitchen, right? Oh yeah. You don't have to tell me twice. I'm back. I'm, I have a background of being Italian. There you go. Thank you very much. We all gather around food. Of course, when you do stuff like this out in the world, people are going to gather around. That's the beauty of food. I love it. Yep, exactly. So that farm, which is named Karma, which is what the farmers named it, Uh is really, I mean, we're doing our spring planting on that right now, but it's really made an incredible difference in the entire community. And then you sort of line that up alongside our Tanzanian farm, which, hold on, embrace yourself for the name of this one. It's called Ushirikianu. That name is Swahili for the spirit of working together. So there's some really beautiful, beautiful parallels in terms of you know, again, what the overall objective of this is. And it's, you know, the technology is great, but the technology is simply an enabling mechanism for bringing people together around food and and nutrition. Yeah. My listeners know that I love calling out Epic. That is truly Epic. (laughs) When you said, when you shared that, I got chills. Oh, good. I did too. I still do every time. I, I think it's pretty Epic as well. Beautiful. So how do you do training for these, you know, these new farmers? You know, that's such an interesting spot because we're continually learning what's going to be the best path forward. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when we first got into this, we thought, oh, okay, we'll connect with people and we'll develop a training program. What we have found is that it has actually been a little bit more effective to tap into some of the local resources. Oh, amen. Because that's where that ongoing sustainability really comes in. And I don't mean sustainability in sort of the green sense, although that's obviously important too. I mean sustainability in terms of how that continual learning curve and those that network of farmers and buyers and trainers, mm-hmm. all of that comes into play. So we've kind of taken a much more of a localized sort of path on that. Right. With each one of our units, obviously using the unit... 
Oh, and yes. understanding how to work it is important. Mm-hmm. So we've developed an entire training area around that just to make sure that, you know, like anything that you get, you have to make sure that you know how to use it and you know how to maintain it. Right. And we're also doing sort of training videos to work in collaboration and, and alongside whatever local resources are there in terms of farming and composting mm-hmm. and mulching and intercropping and all of those different things, too. So we're building up a nice database of that. Nice. So what kind of feedback are you getting from the farmers themselves? Boy, it depends. Thankfully for us, the feedback has been really good. Uh As a part of our very first test site, we got some feedback in terms of the cold storage and how that would Mm. be such a really nice to have component. And so from each one of these farms, you know, it's important for us to have that live feedback loop with whoever gets them so that we can take those things into consideration. So whether that's the cold storage aspect, whether that's different types of hand tools that we could possibly include, you know, the ways in which we can tailor things have sort of come into play. But man, for the most part, the feedback has been really good because we've found that whether it's Tanzania or Sacramento or Sonoma or, you know, what have you, having a system that sort of takes some of the guesswork out and can make farming, especially for farmers, a little bit more efficient moving forward in Mm -hmm. terms of you don't have to worry about the power, the off-grid has you there. You don't have to worry about the water, we've got the irrigation system. Having all of that in one complete deliverable infrastructure, I'll drop that line (laughs) one more time, has been something that has really created a lot of ease and has really helped in terms of productivity. Got it. So I recently interviewed Ben Hartman, and he wrote a book called The Lean Farm. And that was episode 330. So that was just recently. And one of the things that was striking for me is he's taken technology out of Japan from the car industry and overlaid it on running a farm to make it much more efficient. So it seems like one of the things that you've been doing, you know, over the course of this learning experience is that you're trying to figure out how to make things lean or make them work most efficiently. What kind of experiences have you had around that? Yeah, I'm excited now to look him up and really see this because that sounds like an interesting approach and certainly acting in sort of parallel with what we're doing. I think Gosh, across the board, we need to get a little bit more lean Mm, mm -hmm. in a lot of our approaches. I think the way, you know, one of the ways that I always like to think about farm from a box, and maybe this is just distinctly tied to my background, but I, I grew up camping with my dad and we would camp in a V-Dub camper van. Nice. V-Dub camper vans, you know, every little thing has its purpose. Right. Many times multiple purposes. Mm -hmm. So it's lean and mean and can be used in a lot of different ways in its sort of compactness. And I constantly sort of put that filter on my eyes in some of our design meetings in terms of how is it that we can make all of our systems as efficient as possible, as simplistic as possible, and as much of a workhorse as we possibly can as well. So that really goes into our approach. Like, for example, the pump that we use, Mm -hmm. which is from Grunfoss. It is the diehard workhorse. Whether you're farming in California or New York or Tanzania or Uganda, it's a maintenance-free pump that you just don't have to worry about. And how often in the world do we have things that are maintenance-free that you don't have to worry about? Yep, exactly. So I think those those are some of the approaches that contribute to the leanness is there's so many things that we do have to monitor, you know, pests and soil and crops and prices and crop plans. You know, as much as we can help sort of take some of those things off the plate for our users, Uh all the better. Nice. So 
I'm going to shift a little bit on you. And I know you're working with United Nations World Food Program. Tell me about that. Oh, boy. So when you talk about food and hunger, that's basically at the apex of who's dealing with it on an everyday basis. Right. You know, especially with an organization that's the size of the United Nations World Food Program that's Mm -hmm. dealing with millions upon millions upon millions of people globally that are literally struggling to get the food that they needed last week. Mm -hmm. They've got a big task on their shoulders. And recently... They've really taken a much more sort of exploratory approach of how they can start addressing what's known as the zero hunger challenge. And rather than looking at purely, you know, feeding mouths and feeding mouths, they're starting to explore ways in which they can strengthen local food production to sort of stem that problem at the tide of things. So they created a sort of side arm called the World Food Program Innovation Accelerator. And that's the arm that's a little bit more nimble. Uh And that allows them to be able to look at different approaches and technologies that are being used, you know, all over the world to help with growth and to help with market access and and other things that could really make a difference from, you know, the food system basis. So that's actually who we're working with. And that's that's where we decided to sort of put in what our approach is going to be and and see how it is in terms of being able to make a difference. Right. So how are you funding all of this? Creatively. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be the case, wouldn't it? It's always a bit of the case. You know, we've we have funded things through getting angel investors that believe in what it is that we're doing and want to be a part of growing Farm From a Box. Mm-hmm. We also have a nonprofit arm. So as we have been testing out a lot of these different solutions, we've been able to get in you know, research and development grants. But you know, an interesting one that's on the plate right now is equity crowdfunding. Oh, you know, as much as we need to change the models of how we're looking at things in the food system, mm-hmm. as a startup founder, I think we also need to change the model with how we go about funding companies. You know, this rather than having the one, two, three percent of the world that makes enough money to be able to invest in companies from the equity standpoint, equity crowdfunding sort of takes the best of Mm. both worlds. And it allows everyday people and the broader community to be able to fund the startups that they believe in and help build the companies that they want to see in the future. So we're really excited that we, we launched one campaign last year with this organization called Republic. Uh-huh. It was all about opening up equitable funding access to communities. And we just launched our second one with them. The first one was great. It was really successful. Uh-huh. And we just launched our, our second one. So we're really proud to be able to be a part of the equity crowdfunding sort of platform because we built Farm From a Box to contribute to the broader public. And so it just makes sense that the broader public can be a part of what we're building. Right. So let me make sure I get this clear. You're talking equity funding. So if I were to put up 500 or $1,000, it's not a donation. I'm actually investing in the company. Is that the case? Correct. And how exciting is that? No kidding. So how does that work? So the SEC just opened up this opportunity. And I think a lot of people are already familiar with crowdfunding in terms of you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and, and things like that that are much more product-based. Right. What this funding actually allows you to do is not necessarily invest for sort of the product kickbacks, 
but actually have a piece of the company. And what it's called is a crowd safe. So through that crowd safe, you're able to buy into a piece of whatever company it is that you're supporting and literally be a part of us as we grow from where we are now to, mm -hmm. you know, five years down the line and have that investment grow with us. Beautiful. So, okay, where do I put some money in? Go to republic.co and you will see Farm from a Box there. I think we are the only farming one that that's on there right now. Mm -hmm. And it really, it allows you to have a part of what it is that we're doing from anywhere between $50 to 50,000. So it's entirely up to how much people want to be able to be a part of it. Contribute. Very good. Yep. We'll have that on the show notes page as well. Oh, great. Thank you. So I've been watching you and what I know about you in the past couple of years is that you're always out there on the cutting, I'm going to even say the bleeding edge on creating new cool stuff. So what's next? I love that. I'm just going to let that soak in for a little bit. Good. Greg, thank you very much for that. I'll happily, happily take the sort of creative food renegade status. Yes. Absolutely. You know, what's next is for me to continue to sort of peel off the filters and dig in a little bit deeper to use a completely appropriate pun uh -huh. and take what we've created, continue to improve it and really put it in the hands of more people. We're looking to put one of these pretty soon in a Native American community, which absolutely lights me up. There's wow. You know, another farming group that we're going to go with. So honestly, what's next is going to be continuing moving forward and, and keep trying to make this better and better and, and make as much of an impact as we possibly can. Beautiful. So one of the questions that I ask in my, you know, the first time we were on the show together, that is a piece of advice. It's been almost two years now. And what, what have you learned? What kind of piece of advice would you give somebody that is looking to do one of these for themselves? They want to put a two and a half acre farm in place and, you know, get started. Where do we start? Oh boy, there's so much that I've learned, you know, from the very foundational perspective. And I increasingly become a much larger fan of soil, 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 soil. Amen. It comes up for us all the time because I'm sure you and, and other listeners are familiar with other sort of containerized food production things. And they're great to see in terms of growing leafy greens inside and all of that. And I'm a fan of all ways in which we can actually increase open, healthy food access and connect to the food that we're eating. Yeah. But our approach is pretty soil focused. And to really start there in terms of looking at the whole farm as a complete ecosystem, mm -hmm. that's really the biggest thing. And some, you know, Sometimes that's the most complex thing in terms of how can I really be able to help nurture the health of this entire ecosystem. And Greg, if I can, because I, I may pull out for just a moment and just a lesson that I've personally learned. Oh, please. That a part of this is, thick, gosh, this may sound really crazy, but just roll with me on this. Is, okay. You know, how is it that we also nurture the ecosystem of our own lives? I found that over this past year, I was so focused on farm from a box that I let other things in my life sort of go by the wayside. And oh, yes. you know, it can be the equivalent of, I really want these tomatoes to grow, but I'm neglecting the rest of the entirety yeah. of the farm. So I think really kind of scanning back and looking at absolutely everything in our lives, whether it's farming, mm -hmm. whether it's our own personal lives, but how is it that we can really nurture and strengthen the ecosystem of all of those things? Because yeah. One thing ends up supporting you in another and vice versa. Yeah. You, well, really what you're talking about is keeping your life in balance. 
Exactly. You know, make sure you have fun as well as make a difference. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, well, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show once again, Brandy. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for keeping up with us as well. And I look forward to backing up that truck on your land and dropping (laughs) one of these babies in too. So one of the things that I do is I'm a what if kind of guy. And I know that you're a what if kind of gal. (laughs) And throughout this conversation, you planted some seeds that made doing one of these here in Phoenix a whole lot more possible in the next six to 18 months. So once we get off the line, we're going to have a conversation and talk about that. So I'm really excited about that. Perfect. That is what I look forward to. And then come our third podcast where I get to interview you (laughs) on how the farm is going in Phoenix. Yes, I'll take it. So how can listeners find out more? You're welcome to go to our website. There's some informational sort of basic information up there. In full transparency, I'm updating the website right now. So there's going to be much more information coming. Mm -hmm. But you can always contact us through the website. You're welcome to contact via social media route on our Facebook page and also Twitter. But in the case of Urban Farm, truly, you're welcome to also reach out to me via email. Be DeCarly at farmfromabox.com. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash farm from a box. And if you would like to hear from Brandy, you can find our 86th podcast episode at urbanfarm.org forward slash Brandy. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. The Urban Farm Podcast is sponsored by HealthIQ.com. A decade and a half ago, I took on a very interesting personal goal, to run the Arizona Rock and Roll Half Marathon from the first running in 2004 until I was the only one that had run them all. They call us legacy runners. Since then, my times have slowed down a bit, but my commitment is stronger than ever. In fact, I just ran my 15th year in a row, and interestingly, there are less than 100 of us legacy runners left. Wouldn't it be cool if a life insurance agency rewarded me for that health-minded achievement? Well, I found one that will. Health IQ uses an exclusive qualifying process that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, yogis, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. And if you have records like race results or those cool reports we get from the apps logging our efforts, Health IQ takes this into consideration to get you even more savings. Visit healthiq.com forward slash urban farm to support our show and see if you qualify. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health conscious lifestyle. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. 
Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.